coverage. This is the PFT PM podcast. And now your host, Mike Florio. Friday edition PFT PM. What's up, PFT PM posse? I didn't forget about you on a Friday. It's kind of a slow Friday afternoon, but there's still enough to allow me to meander for the next 45 minutes or so. I always say I'm going to try to get it in the range of 30 to 45 minutes, and what happens is we we end up going for an hour or longer. Yesterday, 70 minutes. Today, though, I'm kind of hungry. I just worked out, and I really want to make hot dogs. I know I got that expensive new grill, but sometimes you just got to cook hot dogs on the grill, no matter how nice the grill. I- I'll buy slightly nicer hot dogs. I'll pay 250 instead of $2 for the pack of hot dogs. I'll splurge. I'll get high-end chili and finely chopped coleslaw. I never had coleslaw in the hot dog until a year or two ago, and I used to think it was kind of gross. It's kind of good. Thin layer of chili, heap some coleslaw on top. You can't be so big that you can't eat the damn thing. All right. I thought it wasn't a slow day. When you start, oh, God, I'm getting hungrier. If any of you out there haven't eaten yet and you're hungry after hearing about the hot dogs and the coleslaw and the chili, I apologize. This is going to be a short podcast today. Or I'm just going to have to take a food break and come back. That's the beauty of taping this thing. For all you know, I just went and ate a hot dog. And another. Okay, three was enough. Now I'm ready to go. Okay, what do we have going on today? The helmet rule continues to be cloaked in secrecy as far as the NFL is concerned. Troy Vincent, the executive VP of football operations, did a Twitter chat today. And I'm more confused than I previously was about what the rule is and isn't going to prohibit. Now, let's rewind to late March. That's when all of a sudden, out of the blue, the owners passed a new rule prohibiting, as written, Lowering of the helmet to initiate contact, period. Very broad. And in the aftermath of this rule, it was proposal number 11 from the competition committee when there had been 10 proposals. It was like a secret track. Remember I said that before. It was like train in vain on London calling. Yes, I am cooler than you think. Although it doesn't take much to be cooler than you think I am. Nevertheless, train in vain ends up becoming the biggest hit off of the album. The helmet rule ends up becoming the most impactful development, no pun intended, from late March. And we've had mixed signals ever since then. Rich McKay, the chairman of the competition committee, said this is going to be a significant change to the game. But others have said, ah, it's just going to be a handful of plays. It's just going to be a little bit here, a little bit there. Bill O'Brien, the coach of the Texans, it's not going to be a big deal. Sean Payton, coach of the Saints, not going to be a big deal. Just a handful of plays. Troy Vincent has been on both sides of it. At one point, he said they looked at 40,000 plays and only four are affected. Now, I still think the biggest discrepancy comes from the 15 yards of field position versus the ejection. And this is going to be like the face mask rule used to be. I don't know how long ago it's been. I think it's been at least 10 years now. I mean, for decades, the rule was... The incidental grabbing of the face mask was a five-yard penalty, and the grab and pull and tug. Grabbed and pulled and hurt my neck in 1988. Charlie Babbitt. That used to be 15. Now, anything's 15. With this helmet rule, there's going to be one level that gets a flag and another level that gets an ejection. And 
Troy Vincent shed some light on that today. I'm going to write this up as well, but I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Sometimes it's easier to talk about it. He has one tweet that has a clip from, it looks like Chiefs Patriots. And I don't think it was the open. It doesn't look like it's evening, but it's the kickoff game. Yeah, it's kickoff 2017. Man, it was bright there that night. Okay, they show the play, and Danny Amendola makes the catch. And the Chiefs defender, number 38, I can't make out the last name on the jersey. Eric Berry's next to him, so it was early enough in the game before Berry was gone for the year. 38, and I'm watching it right now. 38 closes on Amendola just right after he caught it, and he puts his helmet into Amendola. Now, one thing Sean Payton said when we had him on PFT Live and PFTPM was that there's an element of time that's going to go into this, that a bang-bang play isn't going to be covered. Well, this one looks more bang-bang than it does the player having time to really line him up. He does dip the helmet, and he does hit with the helmet, but it's closer to bang-bang than really taking the time to line the guy up. This is a foul, and this is what Vincent tweets. The rule states that it's a foul if a player lowers his head to initiate and make contact with his helmet against an opponent, period. That's the rule, and that's how it's being applied. Now, the next tweet from Vincent acknowledges that the standard for the use of the helmet foul is lowering the head not to include bracing for contact and initiating and making contact to any part of opponent with the helmet. How are you going to tell the difference between bracing for contact and initiating? Who's standing still? What if it's two guys running at each other simultaneously? Is it offsetting fouls? See, this is going to fall into the purview of the officials, and it's another area for discretion to be exercised and inconsistency to emerge at a time when sports gambling is going to proliferate in the United States. And it's just another way that somebody can throw a foul, throw a flag, call a foul. You know what? They, they know who we mean. Throw a flag, call a foul. Got it right that time. And... Two different plays. One play, it's a foul. One play, it's not. It's the same action. I want something that is clearer than that. Now, and this was all done in the form of a chat. And I don't know whether no one else engaged Troy Vincent in this chat. He's got 31,000 followers. Or if it's just Orlando Pace was there to ask the questions that they wanted to answer. And they made it look like it was a real chat. I don't know. I'm being overly cynical, but this doesn't seem like an answering any question that may come type of a chat. Here's what triggers the ejection. This is another question from Hall of Famer Orlando Pace to Troy Vincent. If a player lowers his helmet to establish a linear body posture prior to making contact with the head, has an unobstructed path to his opponent, and could have avoided contact, he may be ejected. That's what will get you ejected. You have to go linear, meaning you have to go flat. You have to get down almost like the you know, the, the three-point stance, they wanted you flat like the top of a table. And they, they show, now, uh, and the clip they show is from a, a uh, Falcons-Eagles game. And then they have the Danny Trevathan hit on Devontae Adams from the Thursday night game when Adams makes the catch and Trevathan runs in and Adams is, is trying to fight for more yardage and Trevathan just blows him up. That's another one that they're using as an example for a possible ejection. And, and they're showing these from multiple angles. They're showing the coaching film. And, and these are brutal hits. 
The one I'm concerned about is the category that will be a penalty but not a foul, the bang-bang kind of a play, because the one that I talked about earlier from the Patriots-Chiefs kickoff game, that didn't look like something that should draw a foul. That looked bang-bang, although the helmet was used as a weapon. But again, if the, and this is where we just need a clear explanation. And I've asked for Troy Vincent. And they said, well, he was traveling a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know how many times I have to follow up. They know I want him. It's a standing request. I'm going to have to ask again and say, can you get me Troy Vincent so I can have a conversation with him, not a chat where the questions are asked that they want to answer. I want to be able to ask him any question, and I want to get an answer from him so I understand exactly how this is going to play out because I think all of us need to know exactly how this is going to play out. It's been two months now, and we have no idea how it's going to play out. Well, we're starting to get an idea. You can get ejected if you go. It's like the limbo move. If you go flat, although it's, it's front side limbo. It's the easier limbo. It's easier to get under the bar if you go front side. Back side a little bit harder. But you go front side flat, and you have a chance to avoid the contact. You line the guy up. You may get ejected. I don't know if bang-bang plays are going to be exempt. If you get your helmet down and initiate contact, and you're not simply bracing, apparently you can be flagged. So it's going to be another way to get 15 yards of field position, and that could affect whether or not a drive survives or stalls out, and that could affect whether or not a team scores, and that could affect whether or not a team wins or loses. This is a significant penalty. It's an issue I've had with the defenseless receiver rule since 2010 when they started calling it more aggressively. It should be subject to replay review. So should this. There's more tweets from Troy Vincent. I'll break all this down. And, you know, the bottom line is they're trying to stop the helmet from being used as a weapon. That's fine. But there are some instances where the helmet just gets involved. And it's not deliberately used as a weapon. It's just part of what the player uses. You know, in the trenches, ramming guys with your helmet. That's been part of offensive line play forever. Trying to run through the tackles. What are they going to do when a running back gets the ball and he hits the hole and he sees a linebacker there? And he gets small and dips his helmet in an effort to get small and initiates contact with his helmet. What happens? Under the letter of the law, that's a penalty. And anytime I ask that question, is this going to dramatically change the between the tackles running game? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, yes, 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 yes. If we accept what Troy Vincent is saying here. And he didn't address because he wasn't asked. The, the question of whether or not it is going to affect interior offensive line play, which would make sense if Troy Vincent was involved in this. Now, I still don't know. I don't know whether Pace was asking the questions, if Pace was answering the questions along with Troy Vincent. I don't understand this. They really didn't cover much ground here. I'd cover a lot more with Troy Vincent. And here it is. Here's another response. 40,000 plays were reviewed from last season. Three ejections were identified. But there's a difference between ejections and the throwing of the flag. And, and here's how I look at it. If this is such a dangerous technique that needs to be eradicated from the sport, shouldn't whatever you do that triggers an ejection, shouldn't that only be the foul? Why do we need two levels of this? That's what I can't get a straight answer to. I understand the idea of a dangerous tactic where the guy goes in linear 
and he has a chance to avoid him and he doesn't do it. That's fine. But if this instinctive dipping of the helmet is going to result in a 15-yard penalty anywhere you do it, that's a problem. Now, maybe players will adjust, but a lot of it is instinctive. Maybe 20 years from now they'll adjust because they will have done it their whole careers. But I'm concerned this has the potential to be a mess for the league. And I'm concerned it has the potential to fundamentally change what football looks like. And they should be concerned about it because now that gambling is coming, that's going to be even more of an incentive for someone to create an old school football league. Because these alternative leagues are going to be more viable if there is gambling attached to them. And I mean, think about this. All it takes is one state that decides to take this gambling thing to the extreme and set up every possible permutation of betting that you can do. All it takes is one state. And let's say California says, we are going to go all out on gambling. And we are going to allow every form and fashion of it in-game, play-by-play. You can do it from your cell phone device if you're in California. You can do it from the stadiums in California. And you have enough of a population base that you can have the league just there. A viable alternative. Ultimately, though, having the ability to bet from home is what's going to make this thing explode. But as more money is available coming from gambling in whatever form or fashion. If they change the NFL too much, I guarantee you there's going to be another professional league that plays Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday in the fall. And if it establishes a foothold, maybe they'll decide to play some games on Sunday just to see. Now this is a 10, 15, 20, 30-year play. But remember where you heard it first. PFTPM Posse, if it happens. If it never happens, forget you heard anything about it. Moving on, Odell Beckham Jr. I just got a couple of things to say about this. Why is he going to participate in OTAs? Why? Ian Rappaport reported back in late March that Beckham isn't going to set foot on the field until he gets a new contract. Well, apparently that's incorrect. And it's okay to be wrong. We like Ian. Ian was on the podcast a few weeks ago. Maybe Beckham changed his mind. Maybe Pat Shermer is pushing the buttons with Odell Beckham Jr. Maybe Shermer is the authority figure that gets Beckham to fall into line. I don't know. But if I'm Beckham, I'm not participating until I get my next contract, period. And if the Giants don't want to give me what I'm worth, I will find a way to learn whether or not another team out there does, and then you you do what you can to get traded there. But he's only got $8.5 million in protection against injury. He needs to get his long-term deal. They need to work it out. And his only leverage is withholding services. And I don't know if he got sufficiently beaten down last year that he doesn't want the criticism again. I don't know if it's the media criticism. Remember the dust-up from a few weeks ago? Ray Lewis and Chris Carter all over this guy. Ray Lewis acting like Odell Beckham Jr.'s life is spiraling out of control. Where's the evidence of that? Where's the evidence that Beckham is in danger of having his own life fall apart? Maybe Beckham just doesn't want the headache. Maybe he just wants to go about his business and he assumes football will take care of itself. Maybe he thinks the odds are in his favor not to get seriously injured this year because he's already gone through that. I don't know. But he needs to draw a line in the sand, and we support him completely. It's something Chris Sims has been saying for nearly a year. Beckham should not play until he gets paid, period. 
I talked about sports betting a couple of minutes ago. I was surprised to see that Pennsylvania has a system in place which basically makes it impractical for any sports books to come in and do business. A $10 million fee right out of the gates, along with 34%, 34% of the revenue generated by sports betting, 34%. You just don't do business in that state. If they make it that expensive, you just don't do it. And for Pennsylvania, why are you making that kind of a money grab? Currently, you're making nothing off of sports betting that's going on in your state. And I'm not saying give it away, but you better have competitive rates with your neighboring states so the sports books will do business in the neighboring states. When you're Pennsylvania and you're bordered by, let me see, and I'll try to do this without Googling the Pennsylvania map. You've got West Virginia in the southeast corner. You've got Ohio above that. You've got New York State above that. You've got Maryland under the what, southern edge, once you get past West Virginia. Then it gets a little murky on the other side. Delaware's in there somewhere, right? New Jersey. You got a lot of neighboring states. Any Virginia touching Pennsylvania? No. That little piece of Maryland. But you know what? You can lure people from Virginia, or you can lure people from Pennsylvania to Virginia if they've got sports wagering. Anyway, the point is, you have a lot of people going across the borders to bet elsewhere. And Pennsylvania's going to be losing money if they have a sports betting program that entails ridiculously high taxes for the sports books. So they better, they better be careful. They better fix it. They better get it right. You can't be greedy about this. You can't make it so expensive that the sports books just say, screw it, we'll, we'll go to another state. I mentioned alternative leagues earlier as well. The Alliance of American Football now Is it five cities? Orlando, Atlanta, Memphis, Salt Lake City, and Phoenix. Rick Neuheisel back in the coaching business. Dennis Erickson, that was a surprise, in Utah. In Memphis, Mike Singletary. In Atlanta, Brad Childress. Hopefully they let 12 men in the huddle in that league. And in Orlando, God, it's been so long, I can't remember who they hired. Oh, Steve Spurrier. This could be a viable league. Spring league, 10 weeks. Eight teams, we know five of them now, and something to bet on. That's the key. Give people something to bet on, they're going to be interested in the sport. XFL, one year behind. There was a report the XFL is looking at Orlando as well. I wonder if the XFL will stay away from AAF cities or or compete with them on their own turf or or look to NFL cities. I mean, there aren't, what, you've got Atlanta, two of the five, Atlanta and Phoenix are NFL cities. All right, let's answer some questions. Friday edition, PFT Live. No, PFTPM. Sorry, PFTPM Posse. It's been a long week. The three days in New York left me discombobulated and not being able to take the hot shower on Wednesday. Somebody asked me yesterday what I did. I was going to just take the cold shower That wasn't happening. So what I did was shower on and, you know, put the head in there, freeze, get it wet enough, shampoo the toupee. And then it was, it took four or five times of sticking the head back in to get all the soap out. So now, you know, in case you were curious and most people 
who responded did agree that I have a right to be pissed, even though it is a first world problem. I have a right to be pissed that they knew when I checked in on Sunday that Tuesday night the hot water was going to be off from 10 a 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And they didn't tell me when I checked in so I could make other arrangements for Tuesday night. So thank you, PFTPM Posse. And thank you for your questions. Here's one from PFTPM Posse member Mike Likes Dirt. We all know you love sheets. Sims is from Jersey, so obviously he's a Wawa guy. Which is better? Hashtag Team Sheets. Hashtag Convenience Store Mascot Battle. At Sims and the other guy. Okay. I've never been in a Wawa, so I can't compare. I'll only go to Sheets. So if there's no Sheets, I'll just find a place to get gas. I won't go in. I am loyal to Sheets. We'll see if that gets us a Sheets sponsorship. Another one from Mike Likes Dirt. If you were negotiating player's contract, what would your top priority considerations protections for the player be? Which team-friendly considerations would you be the most wary of? Eh, Good question, and that means I'm buying time to think of a good answer. I would want cash in hand, guaranteed, signing bonus, give it to me now. That's the best guarantee is the signing bonus. I'd want the maximum signing bonus. And also, the bigger the signing bonus, the harder it is to cut the guy. Now, here's the thing. You get a big signing bonus, and you don't mind if you get cut because you walk away with a ton of money and you get another bite at the apple somewhere else because you get the big signing bonus, you're not working for very high base salaries in future years. But the top priority would be getting the most money possible, fully guaranteed at signing, and getting that money in hand and getting it in the bank. And I'd tell the player, save it. As much of it as possible. Live off of your base salary. Save the signing bonus. Don't go buy an expensive car. Don't go buy a ridiculously expensive house. You're going to live a hell of a lot longer than you're going to play football. Bank it and live off of it as long as you can. Do not be stupid with it. And do not neglect to think about tomorrow. Because tomorrow is going to smack you in the face before you know it. Now, team-based protections I'd be wary of. I mean, I, I would I would push for very hard for the the triggers in every march where the team has to decide whether to keep the guy or not. I wouldn't want my client to be in a situation where the team could wait until August to squeeze him to take less money because by then, what's your alternative? You, you want it all to come to a head while there's still money on the market. So you want the team to have to, if they're going to come to you and say we want you to take less money, you want them to have to do it in March, not in August. So, And that is a team-friendly protection, and sometimes they just won't agree to it, like in the out years of a contract. But I would want that, and I would push for that. A lot of it depends upon how much leverage your player has. And there isn't a whole lot of shenanigans they can get into. There isn't much they can do beyond what's allowed in the CBA. So it mainly would be, number one, getting as as much money as possible in hand, out of the gates, and number two, for the out years of the deal that aren't guaranteed, forcing the team to make an early decision. So if they're ready to move on, there's an opportunity to find another job. More of an opportunity to find another job. From PFTP and Posse member Tom G. Post, if it were Super Bowl 53 or so when gambling is legal and Coach Bill Belichick bench Malcolm Butler for only football reasons, would he be opening himself up to an investigation? We assume these Decisions are innocent, but the stakes have just risen. I think that's the question that PFTPM Posse was trying to ask yesterday. The idea that if a guy is active, 
if a guy isn't on the injury report, if a guy is listed as a starter and he doesn't play, there better be an explanation. And, you know, here's where this may go. And this is another reason why I like doing this, because it forces me to think out loud. It forces me to, to ponder things that I otherwise may not think about. You may have a depth chart, an official depth chart. You know when they do the depth charts now? Oh, that doesn't mean anything. Oh, the PR guy put that together. Uh, pay no attention to the depth chart. Now, it may be that the teams have to announce an official depth chart by 24 hours before kickoff. I don't know what a reasonable deadline would be. I don't think you do it 90 minutes before kickoff. I don't know. You do an official depth chart subject to deactivations based upon injury. So, for example, if Rob Gronkowski is questionable with a knee injury and it's 24 hours before kickoff, he gets listed as the starting tight end. And then you've got, maybe you do the official depth chart. But what's binding is the starting lineup. Even then, though, what I'm thinking this through, you can't force the coach to play the guy. Maybe you do an official starting lineup, and they play whoever they want, but you know who the starting lineup is. You do your actives and inactives 90 minutes before kickoff, and... You know what? It may be... Well, I mean, I don't know how you completely eradicate what happened at Super Bowl 52. Do you force teams to announce any discipline that doesn't entail not dressing? Like if a player's benched for the first drive, benched for the first series, benched for the first quarter, benched for the first half? I don't know how you police that, but you're right. It's going to create all sorts of suspicion. As the NFL figures out its position on gambling... It needs to address and come up with a set of rules that would require this to be addressed. And it may just be that in a situation like that, if there is that kind of irregularity, I, I don't know. I mean, an investigation after the fact doesn't matter. What matters is it defies the expectations of the people who are watching the game and the people who have wagered on the game. Why didn't Malcolm Butler play? Why isn't he playing? What the hell's going on? I took the Patriots, given the points. Why the hell isn't Malcolm Butler playing? Why didn't I know he wasn't going to play? Maybe I would have bet on the Eagles if I knew Malcolm Butler wasn't going to play. That this is, there's going to have to be a way. If there's a starter, if there's a player in the starting lineup, and that player isn't going to play at least half of the snaps. Now there's there's opportunity for all sorts of shenanigans because you could just say, oh, he got injured during the game. But I think it's harder to cover that up. I mean, if you know going in that a guy isn't going to play at least half the snaps for disciplinary reasons, and he's listed in the official starting lineup, you probably should should be required to disclose it in a gambling environment. This is just an example. Look how I've been twisted up in knots. I've, I've done the twisting myself. But it gives you an idea of what the NFL is going to have to deal with as they come up with standards. PFTPM Posse, even though he has a point, how is anyone taking Terrell Owens seriously considering his past issue with coaches? Look, he's had plenty of past issues, but he does have a point, and he is one of the few people saying it. Now, I said it earlier this week that Jason Garrett could be and maybe should be out after this season. Why has Jerry Jones put up with Jason Garrett not taking the team to the playoffs more than twice in five in seven years, not five years, five non-playoff appearances, two playoff appearances? That doesn't seem to be good enough yet. So I think that if they don't win the division this year, and if they don't at least make it to the final eight as a wild card, 
So either win the division or make it as a wild card and get to the final eight. And I think Jason Garrett could be in trouble if that doesn't happen. PFTPM Posse is all over this link between the Eli Manning fraud case and the hotel I stayed at because PFTPM Posse, the Twitter account, thinks I was the victim of fraud. Have you asked Eli Manning why he's running a fraudulent hotel yet? No. PFTPM Posse, after your talk with Michael David Smith today, how come neither of you mentioned Jameis Winston replacing Andy Dalton? Marvin Lewis has to do something to save his job. Well, if that was the case, it would have kept A.J. McCarron. This would have been the perfect opportunity And I think that there was an overture made by A.J. McCarron's camp. A respectful, discreet, hey, if you're thinking about bumping Andy Dalton, we're here. But see, I'm looking at this pragmatically. This isn't just fantasy football, pull one guy out, put the other guy in. I'm talking about Jameis Winston suddenly being available. If he was available right now, May 18th, I believe no other team would say, make him the starter and we'll bench or get rid of our starter and we'll make it work. I don't think the Bengals would do that. I don't think they would do that. In part because they wouldn't pay Jameis Winston. And I don't know what guarantees they have. I don't think any guarantees have kicked in yet for Andy Dalton. Maybe they have. They're rolling guarantees, but I think he's past that point. But I I don't think... I think if... I look at it this way. If any team out there that already has a starter and didn't upgrade via the draft or free agency, they're not going to upgrade just because Jameis Winston pops up. He's got three years, and we really don't know what he's going to be. And the teams that have addressed the quarterback position, they're not going to throw those guys overboard right now. What are they going to do? They're going to cut Tyrod Taylor in Cleveland after they give up a third-round pick and say, we'll go with Jameis Winston until Baker Mayfield's ready? No. They're going to get rid of Kirk Cousins in Minnesota? No. In Arizona, they got Josh Rosen. There isn't a team out there that would say, oh, man, what the hell are we doing at quarterback this year? They all have a plan. Now, the plan's going to suck. I mean, we know that for some teams. Unless everyone's 8-8, and there's going to be some shitty teams, and they're going to regret what they decided to do at quarterback. But for now, you make Jameis Winston available. I don't think there's a single team that says, let's get him right now, let's make him our starter right now, and uh, oh, guy who was our starter, sorry. Life sucks sometimes. Matthew L. Farley, which player is set up to regress the most this season? I really thought about this one. That's not not conducive to a quick answer. I don't sit around thinking who's going to regress. I don't know. Age catches up with all these guys. I mean, Tom Brady could end up regressing. Someone told me last year with Tom Brady, don't watch the arm, watch the legs. Once the legs start to go, that's when the career goes because you need the legs to buy time to do what... What your brain is telling you is available. You don't need the rocket arm if you have enough time to spot the open guy. But if your legs won't buy you the time, if you can't get away from pressure. And with Brady, it's not running. It's that very agile sliding and stepping and moving. So I'm going to keep, look, until at some point, I said this last year many times, at some point Father Time is going to hit him over the head and or shove up his butt the weapon of choice. And I still don't know whether it's a giant hourglass, whether it's a scythe, whether it's a sickle. I don't know what the father time weapon is, but at some point he will defeat Tom Brady and the legs will go before the arm. At, 
I'm just going to say Sean the intern. I can't make out the Twitter handle. I had a bookie I know tell me he's not worried at all about legal betting impacting him because the winnings would be taxable, making it even harder to come out on top. What do you think? I think that he needs to worry about the local authorities that otherwise look the other way and or flat out participate in the gambling now, shutting him down because he's going to become competition for the state-run program. That's what he needs to worry about. Not attracting customers. That, that's not the issue. Getting people to come bet because they don't have to pay taxes on the winnings. That's not the issue. Getting the state to allow you to continue doing something that the state allowed. As long as you didn't get into drugs or uh, you know serious criminal activity. As long as you paid your taxes. Because gambling itself isn't a violation of federal law. You can be a professional gambler. You can be a professional bookie, and the feds aren't going to do anything to you unless they decide to do a little spot check and make sure you're properly paying over your percentage to the federal government. Isn't that a weird distinction? And isn't it weird, then, that the federal government decided in 1992 to say that states couldn't legalize gambling while you know, the feds were making tax money off of all the bookies out there who were doing it illegally under state law, but complying with the federal laws. And trust me, they did. Because the feds will come get you then. If the feds aren't getting their taxes, no matter how you're generating your money, if they're not getting their, their taxes, they're going to come get you. The state doesn't care about you being a bookie unless and until the state is the bookie as well. That's when your bookie friend, Sean, had better be ready to find another line of work or maybe go take a job at the casino. Josh asks, oh, yeah, Josh is quite, look, I, Josh, you got a fair point about Tyreek Hill. We had Tyreek Hill on the show today. Tyreek Hill got himself into trouble at Oklahoma State. Tyreek Hill choked his girlfriend when she was pregnant. Now, Tyreek Hill, he did what he did, and he suffered for it, and he shouldn't have done it, and what was I going to do? It was different than Joe Mixon. Because Joe Mixon was in the process of trying to get drafted. Joe Mixon had never really dealt with the situation. Last year when we had Joe Mixon on, we put Joe Mixon through the ringer because he was going to be facing those questions from teams. For Tyreek Hill, it's been multiple years now. But I will acknowledge, Josh, that Tyreek Hill did something heinous. I just have to ask myself when we have an opportunity to get Tyreek Hill on the program, I mean, what do you do? What do you do? And feel free to chime in on Twitter with what you think I should have done. I don't know. I mean, what do you really do? I'm trying to put on a good interview and let people get to know a guy who has been cleared to play in the NFL. He hadn't been suspended by the league. He was drafted by the Chiefs. They Remember, they were promoting him on the NFL Twitter page as a rookie. He's on the field. He's part of the league. What am I supposed to say? You're not welcome on this program? Because of something you did several years ago? He's paid his debt to society, and I'm not sure what he ultimately had to do if he did time. I don't. I may probably have known at some point, but don't remember. But what do you do? I don't know what you do. But I thought it was an interesting interview, and I think the kid should be entitled to try to turn his life around. But what he did was heinous. What he did was shameful. What he did was wrong. And he knows it, and the Chiefs know it. It's not the easiest situation to resolve. I don't know. Should I have said no to Tyreek Hill? We didn't reach out to him. He's promoting this basketball tournament 
basketball game, celebrity basketball game on Saturday night. It benefits his foundation. He's trying to do good in the community. He's trying to be a positive. He's trying to trying to learn from things that he done stupidly and rashly and illegally and wrong several years ago. I, I don't know. It's a good question. It's a good question. Trust me, I'm aware. But we still enjoyed the the uh, the time with Tyreek Hill. And as long as he's playing in the NFL, as long as he's you know out there and getting it done and not getting in trouble, I don't know, I don't know what you do. I'm open to suggestions. All right, let's move on to the next question. It's a good question, though. Andrew Yeh, how excited are you for the AAF? The slate of coaches hired are quite good, instituting a bunch of great rules changes, such as the onside kick to fourth and ten. Do you see the AAF expediting rule changes in the NFL? I think the AAF can become a proving ground for the NFL, a test case, developmental league. It can be a lot of things. And I think what the people who put this together realize is if they can find a way to make it profitable, the NFL will buy it. I think that's their end game. Come up with something that works financially and get the NFL to buy the thing. And with gambling, it could become very viable. The Laughing Man 5 says, this is the most attention-worthy tweet of my bunch. Could the NFL restructure itself into one giant company during the next lockout contract negotiations with the union to avoid all the antitrust stuff that you're always talking about? Or would that integration be illegal? I think it'd be impossible because you've got one of the franchises that is publicly owned. You can't buy back that stock. It's just not happening. You can't do it. What are you going to do? Buy all the franchises from the owners? Give them shares in the company? I just don't think you could ever make that happen. I think it's too late. They're just going to have to deal with not being a single entity. Now, necessity would cause that. I remember... When LLCs became a popular alternative to law firm partnerships, I remember the law firm I was with, they looked at it and they said, it's never going to be viable for us to become an LLC. And then they eventually became an LLC. It's never going to be viable for us to, to buy and own our own building as a partnership. And then they bought and owned their own building. So, you know, a lot of times they don't want to be bothered with what it takes, they being the, the, the organization. If there's a necessity that arises that forces the NFL's hand, that's a different issue altogether. Sergio D., I wonder if the NFL will follow the lead of the sporting leagues down under and mandate that all accredited media and staff be banned from betting on games. I'd have no problem with that. I'd have no problem with it at all, in part because I don't anyway. I'd have no problem with, with being regulated in that way because we're in a position where we get inside information. Absolutely. I think that the NFL, Congress, whoever, anybody who covers the sports should be banned. Now, how do you, how do you I mean, if you, who's accredited media? And would there be people who say, fine, I don't, I don't want a, a press pass. I don't need to come to the game. I can cover this from home. I still want to be able to bet. But I think they need to do something because especially the people who have access to practice, the people who are in production meetings, they have unique access to inside information and they can act on it if they choose to and they need to be prohibited from doing that. I got no problem with that. Andrew Yeh, would gamblers be able to sue the NFL if there was a match-fixing scandal? It seems like a logical thing for gamblers that lost money 
to try, but I can't find any evidence the NBA was sued for the Tim Donahue scandal. Here's why, Andrew. Most of the betting was illegal. That's the best part of illegal gambling. What are they going to do? <laughs> They're going to sue you for losing money doing something they shouldn't have been doing in the first place. Now, the other side of the coin, and another excellent question. What if there is a bad call that was made? What if it turns out that there's a Tim Donahue who makes a deliberately bad call late in a game to keep a team from covering? The classic bad beat. What if, what if it's the backdoor cover? Allows the touchdown to be scored. Replay review, inconclusive, but the guy admits I deliberately did it to allow the, the uh, you know, I was on the take. I was a Tim Donahue. <sighs> You get a class action of everybody who lost money. It's a lot easier. It's all legal. Nationwide class action. Everybody who bet and lost, you put that together, you got one hell of a lawsuit. So my example wasn't great, but you would need to have something where there would be real liability. It can't just be you made a bad call. It can't just be negligence. Could it be negligence? Improper training of the officials? Maybe you could do a negligence case. Where it's not that somebody's on the take, the argument is, man, you guys do a shitty job of training and holding your officials accountable. That is a Pandora's box the NFL doesn't want to open. Could you could you imagine that discovery process where there's a consumer protection lawsuit against the NFL for not using the right standards, not having full-time employees, not properly training the employees, not properly supervising the officials, allowing them to make mistakes, accepting the fact that ah, shit happens have a hell of a class action. That could be a hell, of a, a hell of a liability for the NFL. I wonder if they've worried about that. Let me tell you, though. Let me tell you. It's a good question. I'm going to like this one because I'm going to write about it. And the other one, what was the other one? I now forget what the other one was. There was one earlier that I really liked. Let me see here. Let me see. Let me see. Scrolling, scrolling. Oh, this Belichick thing. I'll like that one as well. All right. I've liked two of them. I'll go back and write about it because I'll forget by the time I'm done. Where are we now? The Laughing Man 5. I get the Bills offense has a long way to go, but why do I get accused of wearing rose-colored glasses when I say I think the Bills defense is going to be top 10? The only noticeable loss is EJ Gaines, who we replaced with Vontae Davis. We? Do you get a ring if they win the Super Bowl there, Laughing Man? You got a monkey in your pocket? Or any other organism that would count as we? Monkey? Mouse? Earthworm? I think the, look, I, I don't know. The Bills barely made it to the playoffs. They were lackluster against the Jaguars, although it wasn't a blowout. And the Jaguars made it to the Final Four. Yeah, maybe the Bills can surprise people. The, Vegas does not think much of the Bills, Dolphins, and Jets this year, that's for sure. Another one, Sergio D. With regards to gambling based on what we've seen over here, down under, corruption won't be a problem at the elite level. The crime gangs will target the minor leagues. These leagues won't have an integrity fee to fall back on. That's a good point. The Laughing Man 5 going off something someone said on last night's PFTPM. Why not try to make the fifth day of PFT Live both Chris Sims and Peter King? That's a possibility. The only problem is Sims is in Connecticut. Peter's going to be in New York. I don't know that we can do the three different locations thing. I don't know how that works. Although we already do three locations. Do we do three locations? 
Well, Stats isn't in the same room as Sims, but would still be four locations. It'd be Stats in Connecticut, Sims in Connecticut, Peter in New York, and me in West Virginia. I don't know if that works. Somebody suggested we should get PFT Commenter and Barstool Big Cat for the fifth day. Probably can't afford them. They make $175,000 per podcast. Or something like that. Bearded Man 21 is stats on fire, really Toby. He, he, I, I tell you what, he is officially the Toby of the PFTPM posse. The guy we, we love to hate and hate to love. The guy that, if necessary, will put a caprizi salad in his desk to frame him as having marijuana. The Impact 99, is Russell Wilson considered a top five quarterback yet? Is he a solid season away? I, You know, here's the problem. If you say this guy's a top five, this guy's a top five, that guy's a top five, before you know it, you have 10 top five quarterbacks. I, I have yet to make my official top five list. I think Wilson would be in the discussion for the fifth spot. I remember when Stats and I were trying to determine whether Stats believed Wilson was a top 10 quarterback. And we agreed on the on nine of them, but we disagreed on the tenth. Not that Wilson was my my tenth guy. Stats just hates Russell Wilson because he plays for the Seahawks. The Laughing Man Five. Shit. There's no way any of my questions are going to get read if we're at fifty already. Well, I'll finish this tweet by saying that you're 100% right to be upset about the hotel incident. The reason they didn't tell you is because they probably didn't have a solution. Thank you, Laughing Man 5. The Real Forno, if you had to start a franchise with one player in NFL history and you got to start him as a rookie, who would you pick? Tom Brady, without question. Without question, Tom Brady. Would it be Tom Brady? It would be Tom Brady, or you know what? How would John Unitas do in this day and age? Unitas had that record of consecutive games with a touchdown pass, and it stood for decades. What kind of a player would John Unitas be nowadays? If you got him as a rookie right now, everything he brings to the table, it's the passing skill and the toughness and the leadership. I'm changing my answer. You give me a guy that I can start with as a rookie today, I'll take John Unitas. Google John Unitas, kids. Stats isn't aware of John Unitas because he played before Stats was born. The Real Forno, do you foresee the NFL allowing access to communication similar to what NASCAR does with drivers and spotters? I know you mentioned it a while back, but curious if you think it can happen. Yeah, I meant that's my knee-jerk best way to improve the in-game experience. I wish they would do it. That's the one thing that would get me to go to a game, not that I'm available to go to a game. I'm tied up every Sunday. But if I wasn't, well, I, I would go and sit in the press box. But I'm sure you could get access to that thing in the press box. You know, at the Super Bowl, they give you the little radio where you can listen to the broadcast of the, of the Super Bowl, which is great. The TV broadcast, the radio broadcast. It'd be great if they gave you a little radio and you could hear the coach-to-quarterback communications. I know that's a bridge that plenty of coaches won't want to cross, but if you want to fill up the stadium every week, making that available would do it. Sergio D, given all the collusion talk, do teams have the right to just say that a player is too much of a pain in the ass and not sign him, even if they end up signing a player of lesser ability to play the same position? Absolutely. You've got the right to do that. The argument in the Kaepernick case and also in the Eric Reed case is there was coordination among the league and its teams. 
And I don't think that the evidence in Kaepernick's case will be that there was some secret meeting of all owners where they decided not to employ Colin Kaepernick. I think that the league office, I think the evidence will be, and this is a guess more than anything, that the league office was communicating with the teams that this isn't a good idea. And think about it. Is there any communication between the league office and teams about Des Bryant or any other free agent that's out there? Probably not. So I think that's where the collusion comes from. And teams can independently decide, I don't want this guy. They can't collectively decide, I don't want this guy. Or we don't want this guy. Burn unit, would you be opposed to the NFL installing cameras and player helmets for point of view replays? I'd be very interested to watch that, especially on big plays. Remember the original World League, the World League of American Football, televised by USA Network. They had the helmet cam, the little lipstick cam. I think I don't I don't know that that gives you the best perspective. But I'd be in favor of any technological advancement that would make it easier to get the calls right. Now, you already have plenty of camera angles. Think of how hard that would be to scan through helmet cameras to get the one that's going to help you make a call. I love the pylon camera, even though it, you know, it's good for maybe one compelling shot per game. It's a very compelling shot when you get it. So I don't know how good that would be, but, but I'd be in favor of anything that would make, uh, make the game better and make it easier to get calls right. I just don't know. I don't know that, uh, that that's the way to do it. Burn unit, burn unit, uh, Knows when the birthday is. Well done, burn unit. I don't know how you know that, but uh, yes, it's coming up. It's just a few weeks away. 53. I don't, you know what? I don't care. I look at every birthday as the fact that I survived another year, right? I mean, a lot of people die a hell of a lot younger than 50. So it's, it's kind of all gravy now. Enjoy every moment. Live every day to the fullest. Oh, look at it. Listen to this bullshit. <laughs> that's what I'd be saying if it was somebody else. Ah, shut up. Shut up, old man. Shut up, old man. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to watch bowling and eat pork rinds. Sergio D, do players have a right to challenge the failed physical designation? Do teams use this process as an excuse to simply cut players for no valid reason? I think teams use it any, like if they want to get out of a trade, if they have second thoughts. Yeah, I think that, that there's a lot of play in the joints as it relates to the, the physical process and they can, they can pass whoever they want to pass. They can fail whoever they want to fail. And depending upon the financial consequences, there, there are occasions where the player says, no, no, I, I, I'm, I'm healthy enough to play. Burn unit over under seasons until I place a bet with legalized gambling. Here's what I will do if I'm allowed to do it. Now I've already gotten on the high horse and said, Oh, I have no problem with uh, the, the NFL or, or, or Congress prohibiting broadcasters from gambling. What I would be interested in doing, and I guess I would do it for other sports if that would be allowed, I would find a team that has really long odds to win its championship. I would find one team per year, each league, baseball, basketball, hockey, football, and I, 100 to 1 or longer, and I would put 10 bucks on that. Just for shits and giggles. Just because if that team ended up being relevant, I would be paying attention to that sport. And I'd be invested in that sport. 
and maybe at some point you do four a year, right? Ten bucks. It's it's worth the forty bucks, and you hit a hundred to one. What is that? Shit, that's ten grand. So, I would do that. Burn unit. Would, P- would Chris Sims promote PFTPM on his podcast? That could help gain extra listeners for PFTPM. Thank you for the business advice. I'm going to be on the, the Sims and the Other Guy podcast, I think, coming up at some point in the next couple of weeks. So I'll promote it there. And, yeah, cross-promotion. Check out the Sims and the Other Guy podcast from Bleacher Report. And I really don't mean any offense to the other guy. Sims just says, keep doing that. So I'll keep doing it. Then the other guy's going to punch me in the face. And I won't know it's coming because I don't know who the other guy is. Sergio D, why does it take so long for some teams to sign their draft picks? Aren't the contract details for rookies already predetermined? Why? What are they negotiating? Well, there's really nothing to negotiate beyond the top. There's, there's. Let me back up a step. There are a couple of hot spots where there's something to negotiate. For the most part, these deals should be done. Now, the Rams wait until the offseason program's over because... They don't want the players to be burdened with having the money when they really don't need the money because they're staying at a hotel and they're all eating together and they really don't have any expenses. I still would would want to have a contract. If I got drafted and I'm working, if I'm present, if I'm participating, and you've got undrafted free agents who do have contracts, I'd want my contract. I'd want some basic security. I just would want that as a matter of principle. And more and more guys have it. Here are the hot spots for negotiation purposes. Top of the draft, the top 10. Whether or not the guaranteed money, because the top 10 picks fully guaranteed, will there be offset language? Meaning that if it doesn't work out, can you double dip? If there's no offset language, you can double dip. You can go play for somebody else. Keep all the money that the team that drafted you will pay you and keep anything on top of it that you would get from another team. Now, the pendulum has kind of swung in recent years away from removing the offset language. A couple of teams routinely do it. Jacksonville and the Rams, I think, but it's hard to get the no offset language. Baker Mayfield may try to get it. Baker Mayfield may try to prove a point. Baker Mayfield may think, hey, the Browns need me more than I need them, so I want the offset language to be taken out. I mean, the last two first-round quarterbacks they took only made it two years. You know, one of the arguments is, why does anybody care about this? Who's going to get cut Who in the top 10, who in the top 20, who in the first round is going to get cut in less than four years while it happens? Plenty of guys who have four-year fully guaranteed contracts end up being gone. The other thing is cash flow of the signing bonus. They'll give you a big signing bonus, but when do you get it all? Do you get it all now? Do you get it within six months? Do you get it within a year? When do you get it? It was signing bonus cash flow and offset language that caused the lengthy Joey Bosa holdout a couple of years ago. So it could happen. So in the top 10, those are the issues. Around 2021, 20, 22, that's when it goes from being fully guaranteed to not fully guaranteed for the full four years. So you got to get that to come in just right. And they use different devices to protect against the, the, uh, the player being cut in a year where the full guarantee doesn't kick in. Um, but other than that, these, these are very, very easy to negotiate and they should all be done Except like a few. They should all be done already. And most of them already are. The real Forno is it more likely the NFL would incorporate in-stadium gambling for everyone or make it only for premium seats, season ticket holders? No, everybody, no. If you're there and they're able to do it, yes, they are going to let anyone in the building 
give their money up gladly. Absolutely. Burn unit, do you think Reuben Foster's accuser slash recanted accuser will face charges for falsifying a police report? I mean, lying to police officers is a crime. Whatever the reason, you know, now they've expended time, money, resources to prosecute Reuben Foster. He's been painted. If this is true, if it's true, you know, there are plenty of people who think, oh, she got money. Oh, she got something. Oh, she's recanting uh, for reasons other than the fact that he actually didn't do it. So who knows? But if she did lie to police, she deserves the consequences. Reverend Markworth, with the dreaded slow time coming, what's your favorite summer activity to pass the time? I, I don't call it dreaded. I, I like having a little slow time. I like the days being a little more manageable. I, I love what I do. I love doing PFT Live. And remember, this whole thing, this whole PFT PM is a product of last year when I had four weeks off of PFT Live. I, it's like I got all this time. What the hell am I going to do? Hey, let's just do an afternoon podcast. It was all done to fill up the, the, you know, for the people who subscribe to PFT Live, I did it for them so there would be something there. And we decided, all right, let's just create a separate afternoon podcast. So shit, now what I'm going to do this year, I'm going to have to do a podcast for PFT Live and PFT PM. So there is no slow time. That's, here's the thing, you know, and, and you know that you're blessed and you got nothing to complain about when you're doing what you would do if you didn't have anything that you had to do. So slow time for me, it's like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Read some books, sit outside on the patio, exercise a little bit more, try to get those last five to seven pounds off before football season starts. I really don't like traveling because I travel so much during the season. I, I like staying home. We're very fortunate. We got a nice little piece of the, the earth here. Eight acres where you can kind of do, you know, whatever. Maybe I'll go fishing this year. I haven't fished in a long time. I think that's what I'm going to do this year. I'm going to fish somewhere. And there's actually a couple of lakes near where we live. It just, I don't, I don't know. I need somebody to fish with. I've got to get my son to fish. When, when, when we were kids, there were like three or four of us that would fish all the time. And you didn't realize it wasn't just about the fishing. It was hanging out and talking and, you know, kind of coming of age and... There's a lot worse stuff we could have been doing than fishing. That's for damn sure. So I need a fishing trip. Let's have a PFTPM posse fishing trip. That could go a lot of different ways. That could go a lot. That could turn into a little profit center for me. You know, I, I look, I'm not greedy, but man, I could host a little PFTPM posse fishing trip somewhere. Find the accommodations. People pay. They come. We, you know, we hang out, smoke a cigar, drink some beer, go fishing. That may be something worth exploring. I mean, I, you know, I've had this vision of having people at the house and, you know, like charging a fee and you come and we hang out. Hey man, I'm, you know, I'm not, I like y'all, but if I can make money off of it, I mean, shit, I'm going to make money off of it. But maybe that's the thing. Have a little, uh, have a little PFT PM excursion somewhere. And, uh, and we fish and, uh, you know, eat some steak, smoke some cigars, drink some whiskey, and have a good time. Oh, maybe that's what I'll be doing in the slow time this year. Undead number nine, no question, but I did try your Pizza Hut recommendation. It was really good, unexpected, like you said. A new combination for our pizza order rotation. And here is the photo of the Pizza Hut with the Parmesan crust, 
grilled chicken and pepperoni, and I was already hungry, and I'm even hungrier now. And we've got an hour into this, and I probably should wrap it up on that. If I haven't gotten to your question, ask it next week. Check out the the tweet from Undead Number Nine, and you tell me that does not look delicious, even on that paper plate. The grilled chicken, and they they went a little stingy on the grilled chicken, but the combination of the grilled chicken, the pepperoni, the cheese, the sauce, and the Parmesan crust. That's the way to go. Thank you, Pizza Hut, for bringing that into our worlds. Feel free to sponsor the PFTPM podcast. All right, that's it. We'll do this again Monday. Have a great weekend. Check us out all weekend long at profootballtalk.com. Bye. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.